Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly Solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. And let me tell you, so I just, uh, if you've been following along with us on social media, um, I just killed a buck on camera um, using the Tacticam. Uh, I had my main camera as well, but uh, the Tacticam footage is really good. Um, I'm very, very impressed with it. Um, just editing up that video right now, and I gotta say, it's freaking cool. Um, Frank's been shooting at bucks, and he, he will get into it when uh, when we get to the podcast uh, here in a couple weeks. Uh, man, I feel like we got so much information, so many, so many cool things coming up to to share with you guys, but. Um, yeah, when we get through our first week of the season here and get to recap that, Frank's off up north hunting. We're going to record that one tomorrow. But, um, you know, Frank's been recording um, all of his hunts with his Tacticam. And, I mean, these guys can tell you about what they're seeing and the experiences that they're having. But just being able to share, even just from the perspective of the bow, um, is just something that, you know, I really got to commend Frank for you know, at his age going out there, you want to talk about easy, you know, just clicking that button and and doing his best to, to get the camera on the deer and, you know, trying to make the shot and everything. It's just, um, we're really happy with him, uh, to this point. So that's just my little two cents on the tacticams. I'm pretty, pretty happy with them to this point. Um, and the reveal cell cams, oh my gosh. So, you guys have been seeing on Instagram, Facebook, I've been posting up the pictures of the bucks that I'm getting on camera. And, you know, I'm not a big trail cam guy, but these cell cams are, you know, allowing me to, you know, kind of validate the spots that I've picked out. And if I'm not getting any pictures, I'll just move them um, and, and go find those deer. But uh, we've got some of the other cell cams out there and the pictures and everything from the the tagged cams are by far and away uh better than what we're getting i mean they did send us those cameras but um you know like i said we're running some of the other ones that we bought ourselves and for the price i mean everybody here it's you know dollars are you know at a premium so the value in those cameras is is freaking amazing so check those out i know they're pretty much sold out everywhere um but you might check your local tractor supply if you've got them uh around you they were they sent out a thing that said um the shipments were going out to tractor supply so if you've got one nearby you may be able to find one of those reveal cell cams there uh today's episode we've got parker mcdonald he runs the southern ground hunting podcast um freaking makes some awesome videos, kills a lot of deer, and um, just does an excellent job uh, with with video. And, like, I'll put some links to his YouTube and stuff. But his podcast is really good. It's, it's obviously um, centered around the southern hunter. Uh, but Parker used to hunt some leases and hunting clubs in Texas and stuff like that. And he transitioned over to public. He's hunting public land in Alabama uh, with some pretty good success. And so we talked through him transitioning to hunt public land and 
kind of the things that changed and what he focuses on that allows him to be successful and, and kind of that, that whole process. And I think that'll help um, a lot of guys out. And Parker's just a great guy. So uh, I know you guys are going to really appreciate this one. Um, we are in a new quarter for our Patreon giveaways. Not exactly sure what I'm going to give away. Um, I'm thinking, um, so I put out a post on Facebook, you know, asking what gear you've put off purchasing because of the expense or, you know, it's tough to justify. Um, you know, we had a lot of people say saddles and um, I, I feel like we've kind of, kind of covered that. Um, you know, if, if the patrons, they want us to do uh, another saddle, I can certainly do that. Um, that that's not going to be an issue, but a lot of the things that came up, I was surprised by packs, you know, I was kind of leaning towards a pack anyway. So I think we're going to, we're going to have a, a pack that we're going to give away. Uh, I'm going to reach out to some companies tonight and see um, if anybody can help us out. And if anybody knows any uh, the pack companies or anything like that, let us know. Um, but then rain gear of all things. Um, I don't have good rain gear, so I guess I can, you know, put myself in that category. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to do that. So there's going to be a couple of different giveaways, but I'm thinking a pack and some rain gear. We've got another Tacticam uh solo package uh to give away and then obviously base map and with base map they've still got that um free week of pro going on so if you listen to last week's podcast with uh, base map uh you've got until Wednesday, uh thursday the 15th of october to download the free version of base map and with that you'll get a uh, sneak peek you'll get seven days of all of the pro features uh, to include that new hunt wind uh, which is like I said it's that's phenomenal we, we did a whole podcast on it so go listen to last week's podcast on that but um, you know and then if you do decide to buy it uh, you can use code chronicles with a lowercase c online it'll save you 20 percent you'll get the base map for like $24 for the year. So uh, it's really uh, an excellent value uh, with that. And so if you want to be entered into any of the, the Patreon giveaways, um, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Bullhunter Chronicles podcast. Um, and all that is is like crowdfunding for us. It allows us to buy these things for the giveaways, um, but it helps with the hosting fees and other things with the podcast. But if not, uh, no big deal. Just tell somebody else about the podcast. Let them know. Um, you know, we're doing our best to get our name out there and uh, using YouTube to do that. So uh, like the hunt that I just mentioned, uh, that'll be on YouTube here very shortly. Uh, we got some gear reviews and things like that. I just got one of the Latitude Classic saddles. Um, there's not a lot of information out there on that. And uh, I actually killed that buck out of the Latitude Classic. So um, I'll be getting a video up on that here very shortly. But, um, yeah, check out our YouTube, uh, go subscribe over there. Tell somebody about the podcast. If you really like what we're doing, leave us a review that helps immensely, but, uh, we appreciate every single one of you listeners. You're going to enjoy this episode. Parker's a great guy. Uh, thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the bow hunter Chronicles podcast. Um, John's still out in Montana. They're killing stuff out there left and right. So can't wait to get that back. But in the meantime, it's just me. You've got just me. And uh, I've got free reign to talk about, talk to who, whatever, 
I want. So um, I got my good buddy Parker McDonald here uh, on a Zoom uh, video, so you can check this out on YouTube as well. Um, we're going to have some a uh, little bit of deer hunting conversation, uh, straying a little bit back and forth between elk and deer here, uh, just based on timing and circumstances. But um, how you doing today, Parker? Man, I'm doing great. I uh, got at least two hours of sleep last <laughs> night. So it was great. It was awesome. I feel refreshed. Uh, my little my little girl, I was telling you earlier, my little girl has just gotten into the habit of coming and sleeping in our bed. Like in the middle of the night, she'll get up and come and sleep in our bed. She's three. And uh, we were always like, we're, got, we're not going to be the parents that let our kids sleep with us. It's not just, it's just not who we are. And then you just really can't do anything about it. But she like kicked me off the bed and like, I was sleeping on the, I felt like I was sleeping on the side of the bed the whole night. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, I'm doing great. <laughs> well, you're doing getting absolutely ready. Excellent. Ready for the, the deer season. I mean, if you've, if you've been following along or you're familiar with uh, Parker and the Southern ground podcast, um, his YouTube channel, I mean, I, he actually took his pants off on his uh, YouTube video. One of the last ones and got maybe four hours of sleep. So it's just, it's all old hat at this point, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be okay with it. I'm okay with not getting a whole lot of sleep, especially like I'll train myself about two months out of deer season. I'll train myself and I like, I'll get up early every morning just so I can get back in the habit of it. Cause once the, once deer season rolls in, dude, I mean, it's, it's past Turkey season before I get back into the habit of actually sleeping a full night. So, I mean, half the year basically i'm getting up before like before three most oh of the my time gosh. Yeah. i don't even go to bed till then <laughs> yeah it's a, uh, it's crazy we can talk about that like why i guess but um yeah it's I, I try to get myself in that habit and i'm in the habit right now i get up pretty daggum early so yeah this is and this is the odd one at least for me for us because because normally we're doing um you know i put my daughter to bed and then we have podcasts i'm usually drinking beer and i got a cup of coffee here in the morning and we're we're sitting here you know just making yeah. use of the time so it, it's a it's a little bit different uh uh time frame but for people who aren't familiar with you parker and you know what you've been doing for the last i mean everybody kind of is on the same track i guess you know so you how long have you been doing your podcast and a little bit of your hunting history um well i've been i've been deer hunting my whole life um i've been doing the podcast now for i don't know two and a half three years maybe something like that two and two and a half um and doing the youtube channel for the same uh amount of time and um i started out with uh with dan johnson on uh sportsman's nation i'm still on sportsman's nation podcast network as far as podcasts go uh, but just recently made the switch to um, start my own YouTube channel um, a couple months back, actually. And uh, it was just kind of one of those things for me where I was I was producing a ton of, of videos um, through deer and turkey season and deer in the off season. I was just I was really hustling, trying to produce a lot. And uh, I was on this uh, channel, which was the Sportsman's Nation channel that I, you know, I uh, it, it was it was great. I helped I helped start it. And it was really kind of a collaborative channel with a whole bunch of different creators. Um, but the level of, uh, not the level, but the um, quantity of videos that I was putting out 
made it look like it was just my channel, right? So I was putting out so many videos and other people who were doing really what the purpose of that channel is for is a whole bunch of different people basically collaborating. And I wasn't really doing that nearly as much. I was, I was more or less producing the same amount of videos as guy with a full-time YouTube channel would. And so I decided to take it and uh, just do my own channel for that reason. And so far it's been going great, man. I mean, this is my first deer season with that channel. Um, I'm almost, I'm a little over halfway to where I was when I, um, when I'm, whenever I left that channel. So as far as subscriber goes, subscribers go and really the amount of uh, watch time and stuff that I'm getting now that I'm doing my own channel is way more for whatever reason. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. I, I enjoy doing it. I've been filming for uh, three years. I've actually been doing video. So I'm a, I'm a worship pastor at a church and um, I've been doing that my whole life. I've been in uh, church, church ministry and um, church work. And so I've always known how to do video and audio stuff. And I've always thought, and I've always loved to hunt. And I've always thought like, man, I know how to do this stuff. Why am I not putting stuff out? Like, why am I not filming my hunts? Why am I not doing, I wanted to start a podcast like freaking seven years ago, eight years ago. I was like, man, I, I know I, I have all the knowledge to do this. Why don't I do it? And I just never did it. And uh, um, finally I decided to, to chew it off. And I mean, it's great, dude. I love it. I love the whole filming aspect. I love the the podcasting. I get to, you know, have cool conversations with guys like you. Um, and then like, I get to have cool conversations with guys out here who are just like straight up deer murderers, dude. They're like, they're insane. Um, just good old boy country, country guys who have been killing deer, um, for their whole life. But, uh, before that I was, uh, I was, I lived, I grew up in West Texas and grew up hunting that, um, kind of Texas scene. If that, uh, if people know what that is, it's like leases, um, mesquite bushes, you know, flat desert, dry looking stuff, but with a lot of deer and, uh, sitting in big shooting houses with a, with a heater in it, um, <laughs> sitting over a corn feeder. Like that's just how I grew up. That's how you hunt in Texas. Like, unless you're in the Eastern part of the state where there's some public, that's pretty much how everybody hunts in Texas. And, um, so grew up doing that, shot a lot of deer and just really, had a passion for it. Then as soon as I graduated, basically I moved down here to Alabama and was on hunting clubs and stuff like that. Didn't really get into the the whole public land thing. I did a little bit, not much. Um, and, uh, man, something just like lit a fire inside of me for public. And I was just like, it, it all started with the kayak. It was like, um, I, I'd always kayak fished and stuff. And I was like, one day I was just like, man, what if I, what if I found some water access public land out here that I could just try to take my kayak in? That'd be pretty hardcore. When I started, I bought Onyx right then, <laughs> bought Onyx maps, started looking. I was like, holy cow, I live in like a Mecca for water access. Like I need to be doing this. And so I just, it was, it, to a lot of people listening to this, this is probably going to sound stupid, but it was a big deal for me to not get on a hunting club. I was like, I was like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to keep hunting this way. It kind of, it kind of got to a point, dude, where I was like, I was getting pissed at all my friends and like not happy for them when they would shoot big deer. Um, and I wouldn't. And it's like, I, I just got this thing where I was like, you know what? I'm going to be happy no matter what. Like 
knowing I, I want to be happy for my friends whenever people kill good deer or whatever, knowing that, well, if I don't kill one, it's because I'm hunting like the hardest way that you can possibly hunt. And, and hopefully that'll, and it, it did work. I mean, but also in that season, I had the best season of my life, my first season of hunting, hunting public land. So, um, using the kayak and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's kind of where I'm at now. I mean, I'm still doing that same thing, hunting public land. I've, uh, added a few more States to the, where I'm traveling and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, man, like I am just a, I love Alabama. I love hunting public land in Alabama where most people don't. Um, <laughs> most people hate it and they complain about it a lot. Um, I love it, man. It's just great. And, and so, um, with switching over to public, because I think, I feel like, um, you know, it's hard because I feel like somewhat we live in an echo chamber. So we are always talking to public land guys and we're, you know, you can get so much information from guys that hunt big leases and do food plots and things like that. But it, it doesn't really matter. I've had a couple opportunities now to hunt on some bigger farms or people telling me about these properties that I should come hunt with them. And it's like, I feel almost claustrophobic, like, because you can only go to the edge and then it, uh, inevitably that's where you find all the best deer signs. Now you're hunting on the edge of your neighbor's property or, or the yeah. edge of public and people are, uh, you know, creeping up on yours because they think that your property is better. Um, so for the guys that are making that transition from private land to public land and they did, I think the one thing that you lack to, to some degree, I mean, obviously people are killing deer on public land and, you know, but is the control, you know, I feel like people are relinquishing that control uh, and just stepping out into the unknown and you might run into 10 guys, you might not run into to anybody. So uh, I guess, how did your transition to that public land go? And what do you think for you made it? made you more successful or, or have the best year of, of your life at that point? Yeah. So the thing that I always noticed with the, the hunting clubs and things that I was hunting on a lot of the private land is hard work did not necessarily equal success. Um, you couldn't, there was only so much, so many miles that you could cover on a club that was maybe a hundred acres. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't go to every single, um, terrain feature that looked awesome. Um, you couldn't go to every transition that looked awesome. There was only certain little spots. And if a club has been around for a, a decent amount of time, then more than likely somebody has figured out those spots. Like you're not going to be, you're not going to be the guy that's, um, th there, there's probably a ladder stand or maybe even a shooting house or maybe a spot used to be great at one point, but then they went in and put a food plot there and totally changed the dynamic that that one spot had like it wasn't it wasn't that i could go in and find areas where um oh man i can work hard and and hard you know when whenever somebody shoots a big deer or whatever you see people on social media they comment hard work pays off well it was not always the case on leases now i could see on the other hand where if i owned property if i had my own property that i could do whatever i wanted to to it to you know manage the habitat things like that yes hard work would definitely could pay off in that but the thing that i noticed about public land is that the hard work almost always paid off um if i could work harder 
I could get into the areas that were not like literally were not hunted ever. And I could get into those spots and I, I might have to get up at two o'clock in the morning or one thirty in the morning to get there, but I could get there in my kayak. And that was the, that was the whole, the whole dynamic for me was I was using this water access, which is something that people out, out here just don't do. Um, cause they don't really have to. So I'm hunting, um, big gigantic, um, public land pieces. And I'm basically trying to find little small sections of it that are, um, landlocked and waterlocked. So the only access to get to it is by water. I mean, that's hard work to get there. Um, but then also, you know, biting off these like gigantic chunks of public hard work can still pay off because you can cover a lot of ground. If you're willing to put in the miles and do a lot of off season scouting, like you can find those areas because if you find those big gigantic pieces, more than likely there's a pocket somewhere in there that has deer and more than likely there's places in there that have big deer. Um, I'm a believer that if there are deer, that means there's big deer somewhere. If there's deer in an area, there's big deer somewhere around there. You just got to figure them out. Um, and they, I mean, honestly, dude, there are times where I'll run into spots where the, the majority of the, um, buck activity is happening across the property boundary. Um, but I mean, you can, with public, you can, you really can, um, you can be, uh, flexible with, with what you're doing. I, I helped my dad, um, try to figure out his little piece that he owns. He owns about 25 acres in East Texas. And we've gone in there and um, he's figured out a lot and I've tried to help him figure out some stuff, just even not being there personally at the time, but the times when I can go um, finding different bedding areas, we found a bed that was like literally 10 yards behind his big gigantic shooting house that he had out there. Like, he's like, man, I always jump a deer right here every single time. And so I walked over there and found hair in a bed and I was like, well, because He's figured you out. This deer's figured out where you're at, but there's only so much you can do on 25 acres and still actually get to hunt it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't, you can't say, well, I'm just going to stay out of this place until the rut. It's only 25 acres. Like you're not going to get to hunt for the rest of the season. If you only go in there during the rut, then you, what what are you going to do? He doesn't have public around that he can go to. Um, so you really are limited whenever you, whenever you have private, I am so flexible because there's public land within an hour and a half on like every side of me. So if there's, you know, let's say that the, the wind is bad for this one area that I want to go to, well, I can go to another one. Whereas a guy on a club, he may not have that. He may not have that flexibility to be able to go literally wherever he wants. And so, um, I guess in a nutshell that for me, that, that was what it was. It was like, if I put in enough hard work on public, um, I can be successful in this deal. And it, and it, it showed itself to be true. Like that's exactly what happened. Um, I worked hard and I, I, I had up to that point, the best season that I ever had, I was tagged out by December. Um, I had my three bucks and you know, two of them were pretty small, but I wasn't, I didn't care. Like at that point I was like, I'm just, shoot, I mean, I, I'm shooting whatever I see because this is my first year hunting public. Like I just want to, I just want this experience. And so, um, 
I think, I think that year I shot like eight deer <laughs> or nine deer or something like that. Um, it was, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And so let's talk about the, I mean, I'd imagine when you're hunting these clubs, you're not getting up at one thirty or two o'clock in the morning. So let's talk about that first, those first couple of sits where you're like, I'm going to get up at, at two and I'm going to go, uh, in here. I mean, it, it, it kind of sounds crazy, right? I mean, yeah. and, and, and for me, um, it, uh, I'm in a spot like where we're at, where you say like an hour and a half, like I could drive probably 15 minutes in any direction and get to public and some pretty big tracks of public. So, I mean, when I talk with John Eberhart, you know, and he says, well, you know, I drive usually two hours up here or 45 minutes this way. And it's like, most of my spots are about a half hour, 45 minutes away. But if I really wanted to spend the time, the problem is, is that when you get to those spots that are, you know, 15, 20 minutes away, they're 15, 20 minutes away from everybody. So, you know, yeah. that's where kind of where everybody goes. Yeah. But, but, but to get up at two in the morning, I mean, I could probably get to my spot in the UP, which is about seven hours away, <laughs> you know, and yeah. You know, so that, that seems like, wow. I did a, uh, I did a timed, a timed deal last year where, um, I, I, I timed myself. I set a, I set a timer, um, from the time I woke up to the time I got completely settled in the tree and it was four and a half hours. Um, that was, that was the time. So that's waking up, getting dressed, driving the, hour or whatever that it took for me to get there getting the boat in the water and paddling it um that spot that specific spot was like two miles paddling it two miles and getting out and hiking up a ridge that wasn't really it didn't take long i mean as the crow flies my the tree that i ended up sitting in that day to my boat was probably i mean maybe 75 yards i didn't really walk a long ways that that specific morning um, but I got set up by five thirty, and uh, I got up at one o'clock. So, I mean, it was a four and a half hour process just to get just to get everything together. And and like sometimes I'm going in deeper, I'll kayak into a spot and I'll walk further than that. You know, um, that's the beauty of the kayak, though, is that you're really um, you're getting like you don't have to walk a long ways. You know, you it is so much easier to paddle than it is to, to hike up a ridge. Like that's just an easier thing to do. People think it's like the most hardcore thing in the world, but it's, it's really easier. Like <laughs> I would rather paddle a deer out two miles than drag a deer out two miles. Like that's much easier. Um, mm -hmm. The hardest part about it is the time it's time consuming. Um, it, it takes longer. You know, you can't just get out of your truck and go. You're getting out of your truck, pulling up at a boat ramp or a mud ramp or you know maybe there's no ramp there at all it's just a road close <laughs> to water and you um you know put in underneath a bridge or something um but and and i have found that 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 deters most people they just don't want to do that when it's cold outside um because people do it all summer long i mean people are kayak fishing people are putting their boats in you know at five o'clock in the morning getting their bass boat out there but for whatever reason to deer hunt, they'll do it for bass, but they won't do it for deer. And I don't get it, but I'm happy about it. You know, I'm, I, most of the time 
uh, in the places that I hunt. I'm the only person there. Like there's nobody else there. And, uh, and so like that little bit, like sacrificing some sleep or whatever is totally worth it to me. Um, it's, it's, it's a no brainer, honestly. Like, and as you do it, you do it for, it's kind of like working out, you know, I mean, you work out for a year straight, then working out becomes easier and you can push yourself a little bit harder. And so that's, that's where I'm at right now is like, I mean, it's, that's just the way I hunt, you know, when I go hunt with my dad on his property in East Texas and we can get up at like five o'clock in the morning, drink our coffee, sit in the truck and then just walk out to a shooting house. Dude, it's beautiful, man. I love it. It's like, it, it feels so easy. And I remember a time when getting up at four o'clock was like, Oh my God, you know, (laughs) not that long ago, you know, this was in my adult life. And I'm like, man, why do I, why did I choose a spot where I have to walk 300 yards? (laughs) You know, like, and everybody's probably felt that way at some point or the other. Like, could I just get my truck just a little bit closer? You know, it just feels like that's a long ways to walk. And now here I am, you know, paddling two miles in the dark by myself with nobody else around. And like everything else becomes easier. Honestly, (laughs) everything else, honestly, here's the thing. Everything about, about your whole life feels easier whenever you (laughs) do that. Right. Like, like all of a sudden, you know, some of the chores that you do around the house or whatever are not nearly as hard because literally the thing you do for fun is so hard, you know, um, it's fun though, man. I mean, it's, I say it's hard. It's, it get you get to a point where you're just like, this is the norm. This is how I do it. And you just get used to it. And I wanted to talk a little bit about like, um, some tactics in early season and, and, and until I started, um, like doing the podcast and kind of talking to a lot of different people and kind of actually kind of paying attention, you know, deer season was, you know, um, I don't know, I guess just around me. So when my deer season started and so, you know, Parker's one of these guys that I've noticed, like, it's like, as soon as deer season starts anywhere, he's hunting deer. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, the season in Alabama doesn't start until X day and it ends on this day. It's like, nope, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, Nebraska, North Dakota, wherever, wherever there's a hunting season, you know, the first chance that you get to get out, you're going to do that. Right. And yeah. so when you're looking at these out of state hunts and for these early season type stuff what are you looking for for like terrain features i mean it sounds like you're going to look for some water access because that's going to get you away from guys but then on 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 that note what else i mean you could paddle into a place that nobody's been but maybe they've not been there because there's no deer there right yeah yeah i'm going to look for um especially early season a lot of the hunts that i'm doing um the tennessee velvet hunt that I did, uh, the Kentucky trip that I did. Um, those, those kind of places are typically flatter land, but they have ag. And so, um, when you're looking at the end of August and early September, um, the best thing that you can have around you at that point to be able to kind of, um, concentrate deer is crops. Um, it's something that I'm not necessarily good at hunting honestly I'm, I'm not used to it i hunt big woods 
you know, mountains and stuff like that down here. That's my kind of my, my like home, you know, that's, that's how I love to hunt. But, um, when I'm going on these early season trips, I'm trying to find something that has soybeans, um, corn, you know, any, any type of agriculture. And, uh, and, and like you said, water access is, is great. If I can find both of those things that, that can work together where I can find, you know, boat access with ag that is only accessible by water really. Um, or at least the easiest access is water. Um, man, those, those spots look great to me. And I'm, like I said, like, I'm not, I have not been ultra successful on these early season hunts because I haven't been doing a real long time. Um, and, and that's, and it's not what I'm used to, right? Like a lot of people have ag, you know, when you start looking at Midwest and even a lot of the Northern States, um, the public land just has ag, like that's just how it is. Um, we don't have that here. There's not a lot of places in Alabama that you're going to find that there's a few, uh, public pieces that do have some type of crops. Um, but for the most part, it, we, you just don't have it. And so I'm learning right now still that's why i do a lot of these trips um early season and i try to do something early i'm also a content creator so the quicker you can get on deer the quicker you can find get a video up there the faster that you'll start getting your your content to start you know people start seeing it a lot faster whenever there's not a whole lot of content being produced in that early season you can really be on be on top of it with those and so that's another reason why i do it too just just a non-tactical, I guess, uh, thing is just, I, I want to be producing videos as, as early as I can. Um, but yeah, like water access and ag, that's, that's pretty much what I'm looking for. And I'm trying to find a place to hunt for these early season trips. And what about, um, we talked about this a little bit at ATA and a little bit before the podcast here, but what about expectations? So, you know, where, I feel like guys around here, because there's a ton of pressure in Michigan, they go to Ohio, uh, Kansas, Missouri, because they're looking for bigger bucks or places that are managed a little bit better than Michigan to get an opportunity to shoot a big buck. Um, But at least for me, you know, many times I come home with an unpunched tag because it wasn't the right deer or, you know, I could shoot that back home, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have a kind of an interesting take on, on that. So, I mean, how do you view like your expectations as you travel, uh, out of state to hunt? Yeah. I mean, honestly, man, like <laughs> I am not, especially out of state, especially out of state. Um, my expectation, if I would be, ha- I always think about it. I can't remember who I heard say this a long time ago, but I always think about it like this. Like if I'd be happy with it on the last day, then I'm going to be more than happy with it on the first day. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm going to shoot every spike and forky that I see <clears throat> on an out of state trip, but it does mean that, you know, if, if I'm going to like this year, going to Kentucky, um, just for an example, I had made up in my mind, like I'm not going to shoot, you know, I'm not going to shoot a small, small deer, but that's not why I'm, I'm going to have another trip scheduled for the rut in Kentucky. Why would I shoot a small buck when I'm going to, I already have vacation days to come back during the rut when the big deer are going to be on their feet. And so, you know, my expectation was, you know, if I see a good one, I'm going to shoot it and I'll figure out what I'm going to do for that week during the rut. But if, I mean, if I don't see a good one, then whatever, I'm not that worried about it. 
Now, when I go on this trip during the rut and I'm, if I'm not seeing deer, like I'm going to adjust, like I'm really going to adjust what I'm doing. Um, and, and I may very well be happy with, you know, a, an 80 inch deer or something like that. You know, I'm not, I, I, I like to go out. I like the experience, right. Um, especially if I'm kayaking, there's just something about it. Like there's something about the whole, like putting a deer on a kayak that just makes it far more, more fun. It's just more fun <laughs> to me. Um, I like the, to a lot of people, the shot, right. The shot is and the first time you put your hands on those antlers. It's just like, Oh man, this is awesome. That's not it for me. Like, that's cool. I still enjoy that. I still enjoy walking up to the deer and like that moment. But to me, the moment really happens when I get that deer loaded up on the boat and I'm paddling out or whatever, like that's just, it's just, and it maybe not for everybody. Everybody may not feel the same way as I do, but for me, that's magical. And like, it doesn't matter if it's a doe, if it's a five point, it's, if it's a giant buck, like it's, it's all fun. You know, it's, it's awesome. I am not going to go to st- a state if I can help it. I'm not going to go to a state and, um, and eat my tag. I'm just not going to do it. Like I don't make enough money to just throw $360 at the state of Kentucky and go home empty handed. I'm like, that's just not me. I'm not going to do it. And some people are going to be like, well, you ain't going to never kill 200 inches if you're just shooting the one thirties or whatever. Like, okay, that's fine. I don't care. Like I want to go and enjoy myself. And I know that if, if it doesn't matter a hundred inch deer, in any state in the United States of the world, uh, in the United States of America, um, I'd be thrilled. Like, I just like it, you know, it's fun. And if I have a memory, if I have something, you know, that I can do a European mountain, put on the wall and be able to look at that and remember, you know, that trip, that's awesome to me. Like, I'm just not, I'm just not picky. I like the experience more than I even care. Like, I like, I like the experience 10 times more than I enjoy the, that antlers. Like I just, they're cool. Don't get me wrong. I like shooting big bucks and I hunt, I hunt big bucks. Like that's the way I'm, I'm hunting, but I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm, I just, I don't care what somebody else thinks. If, if it's something I'm no, I'm going to be happy with, I'm just going to be happy with it. And the other thing is too, going back to be a con being a content creator, I would way rather have a video of me killing a deer than have a video of me being pretentious and not shooting a deer because I wanted to shoot something bigger, you know, and it's not for everybody. If, if your goal, Adam is to go out and shoot a 170, then don't shoot anything less than a 170. Like that's your goal. My goal is to go out and I more than anything. I want to get, a, I want to get a buck on the kayak, you know, and I have goals within that. Like this year in Alabama, actually last year and i'll kind of go into this too another thing is most people um most people kind of if you talk to a lot of people they're going to tell you the same thing is they have screwed up every opportunity that they've had at a big deer they've missed which i've I've missed i missed two weeks ago in kentucky on a giant um uh, they've missed they've made stupid decisions whatever um part of the reason why when i first started filming i would shoot just about anything like I was kind of a brown it's down guy um, for the first little bit is because I wanted to get used to this thing. Like I wanted to learn how to film and shoot and be successful on film. Right. Like th- that was my main goal is like, I'm going to get stuff on film. I'm going to be a killer before, before I'm a big buck hunter, you know, I'm going to be a killer. And 
and get those those shots on film and learn how to do that. And the only way you're going to learn how to do it is by doing it. And I, that is 100% true. Anybody who tells you anything different is lying. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about half the time, but this is one thing for me that I really do believe is true is that you have to learn to be a killer if you want to be able to capitalize in those big moments on the big deer. And um, I say that all the while knowing in the back of my head, I'm being haunted by the buck I missed in Kentucky last week. Um, But I mean, it's just so true. And so when I first started filming, a lot of my videos were of smaller bucks, you know, little does and things like that. And so you kind of make that reputation. You make that name for yourself um, of like, Oh, that guy kills (laughs) whatever. And I'm really not that way. You know, I'm like, I, and I, especially in my home state, like I want to kill big deer. Like I know I could kill, I could tag out on bucks in Alabama if I wanted to on small bucks in a couple weeks. But, you know, I really have challenged myself more here to focus on um, becoming better at killing mature deer. And, but I turn into a different guy when I go out on an out of state trip. I really <laughs> do. And it's, it's okay. Like people can do that. It's all about your goals and the experience that you want to have. Right. That is what, the most important thing is, and only you, only the person, only the hunter can decide what that experience is going to be. And that's pretty much it. Like I can tell you what my experience expectations are, but I can't tell you what yours are. Yeah. I mean, the way that, you know, my father-in-law, Frank, he, he explained it to me. He said, you know, you, you just got to get a couple under your belt, you know, and then once you, once you've killed them. And that, I mean, last year I killed my first deer on camera and I, you know, I told myself, like, I'm not going to shoot a little buck, like, you know, right out the gate. And then I got the camera. There's a little buck there 20 yards broadside. And it's like, I've been telling everybody, you know, we got to start filming some of these, you know, we got to get used to it. And I was like, all right, well, why did I carry all this stuff out here then? You know, like I said, I'm not that good of a hunter to be like picking and choosing like what I'm, what I'm going right. to do. And like, it's funny because it like, you know, I, I told Andrew Blair, we were talking about goals for the season or whatever. And I'm like, I want to kill an 85 inch eight point. And he's like, what? And I said, <laughs> I do not, I've never killed an eight point and I want one for like a nice, like you said, just like a European mount, just, just like that. You know, one that I don't feel bad for European mounting, you know, when that's not on the border of like, Oh, should I, shouldn't I? And then, you know, for where I hunt in Michigan, you know, anything over, I mean, Michigan commemorative bucks is over a hundred inches. So, I mean, our book is, is a hundred inches. So that's, you know, it's a respectable buck around here. And I mean that, I just want to shoot one, just a European model. That's all I want to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got a bunch of 90 and a hundred inch bucks on the wall. Just like you, if, if, a, if a deer goes over a hundred inches, you're probably not going to see me passing. Not at this point in my life. Like, um, I've shot a lot of deer. I've shot a lot of bucks. Um, I've shot several, you know, decent sized bucks, but man, if I see a hundred inch deer, especially in Alabama, like psh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time not shooting him. And that's just like, that's just, maybe it's a flaw. Honestly, like I, I'm, I'm okay. If people are like, well, that's kind of stupid. Um, Maybe, maybe it's something I should work on, but for right now where I'm at, I know I'm going to be very happy with a hundred inch deer, you know, like that's just, it's just how I am. And, and that's our audience too. I mean, like there are guys that, you know, 
travel out of state and, you know, do a lot of stuff, but for here in Michigan and, you know, we got a lot of listeners in uh, East coast PA, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, PA is actually coming back, you know, they're doing a real good job with their conservation and their tags and their management and things, you know, they've implemented, you know, APRs that kind of make sense or they're worlds better than what we have here in Michigan. But, you know, it's, it's good to have that, you know, just enjoy hunting and be happy with the success versus, well, you know, it needed another couple of years or this or that. And especially as you're, you know, for a lot of guys transitioning from private to public, you know, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that it was like a whole new world because I mean, I've hunted public most of my life. We've got property, but it's so far away that it's, you know, it's not really something where you just skip out every weekend. So, you know, if you want to hunt, you're going to go find a spot and you're going to battle it out. And, um, you know, what is your style of hunting outside of like, uh, you know, equipment or, you know, the, the kayak hunting, I've always said that I'm a terrible, um, I'm a, I'm a rut hunter. Like that, that's where I capitalize. I feel like that's one of the things where I can kind of figure out, okay, and I feel like it, not that it's a no brainer because, you know, there's some guys like Greg Litzinger that says I'm a, ter- he's a terrible rut hunter. But for me, like I have a problem getting close, you know, so I see deer, I know that there's deer and I'm just off of them and they're over here. And then I see bucks, but they're just cruising over here. And so in the rut, all I have to do is figure out where those two places intersect and, you know, I'm going to get an opportunity and that's you know, that's really worked out well for me. Um, but do you have like certain, uh, train features or anything that you're kind of seeking out? Is it food? Is it destination location like John Eberhard or, you know, what is it that you're targeting, you know, as you're trying to hunt these bigger bucks? Yeah. It, and it, it changes a little bit throughout the season. Um, the good thing about the big woods is that you don't have a lot of changes other than, like acorns like that's pretty much it like that's a main food source um you don't have a lot of changes that happen throughout the season other than that and pretty much by the time our season opens here in alabama um acorns are already dropped like they're already coming down and you can find those uh feed trees you know there's some persimmons some muscadines like stuff like that but for the most part acorns is going to be like the way that guys hunt early season in the midwest on soybeans deer hunters i mean in alabama like you're pretty much that's what you've got to work with is the acorn crop and so um obviously that that plays a a pretty decent sized role in in what i'm looking for especially in the evenings um now in the in the mornings and and really throughout the whole season the main thing that i'm looking for is hard transitions so I don't know if there's, I don't know if that's necessarily a style of hunting. I don't know if you'd call that like pinch point, pinch point or funnel type hunting. Um, sorry about that. I don't know if you heard that. My computer gave me an alert. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know what kind of style you would necessarily, necessarily call it. Um, but I'm trying to find that those, I'm trying to find those like hard transition lines and as many of them as I can and be right in the middle of where they come together, where they meet. So um, I was talking to somebody on a podcast the other day 
and I recommended the podcast that I did with um, Matt Powell from Tennessee. It was uh, last, it was during deer season last year, sometime that we did it. Um, but the, the episode with him is called X Marks the Spot. And basically, if you if you're watching the video, you can kind of see this. Imagine that this top portion right here is one type of vegetation, right? This portion over here is another type of vegetation. This portion over here is another type. And this portion right here is another type. You have all three of those and you want to be right there where they all come together. Because more than likely what you're going to find on those hard transitions is heavy, heavy trails on all of the, all of the lines, right? And you want to be right there in the middle where you can find where, you, where they all kind of come together. So where I live... I live in um, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And so it's not mountainous, but it's definitely steep. And it's got, you know, a lot of a lot of ups and downs, lots of ridges and things like that. Um, we have a lot of pines. We have a lot of clear cuts and we have a lot of hardwoods. And so what I'm normally looking for on my map is um, a spot that might have pines on one side. It might have a clear cut that meets up to it and then hardwoods next to it somewhere. And I'm going to get right there in the middle where all those things come together, where they all meet. Um, and the best scenario that I can find is that with some type of terrain feature coming out of it. And people think like, man, that's super specific. Yes, it is very specific, like, but it really narrows down the areas that you're going in and looking for when you, when you're biting off, uh, Zach Farinball talked about it in one of the videos recently, um, where he, it, I think it was, uh, while he was in North Dakota, maybe. Um, but he's talking about like finding those places with running, with running water. It narrows down. A, you can take a big giant piece chunk of public and you can condense it down to what you're going to focus on. That doesn't mean that there's not deer everywhere else, but this is just your focus. And the thing that I've noticed is um, that it it pretty well works most of the time. Like if if I can, it doesn't mean I'm going to shoot a buck or see a deer on that hunt, but I am going to find sign almost all the time when I can find those multiple uh, habitat and vegetation types meeting together. I'm almost always going to find it. And if I can find like a small drainage coming out of it or something, that's a lot of time like the um, you have your your exits on the interstate, right? If you can find those small drainages, you can find those. That's like kind of an exit out of there. And um, like I said, it doesn't mean I'm going to shoot a deer there. doesn't mean I'm going to even see one at the time, but I'm going to keep coming back to it more than likely because there's probably going to be deer sign in there. And and the reason is here's, here's kind of the, the way that that works out is they are – all those different things offer something to the whitetail. Um, so thick, a, a thick pine thicket like we have down here, you're going to find that a lot of deer bed down in that stuff. Um, a clear cut is going to offer a food source. It's basically like a big gigantic bedding cover area with food right in the middle of it. So they can kind of have whatever they want in that clear cut. And then hardwoods is going to offer more than anything. It's going to offer food. Um, especially in the early season because you've got acorns. Even in the late season and in, in, in the rut, they're going to be feeding on those red oak acorns once the white oaks go out. Um, and so each of those things offers something different to the deer. And 
they're going to go back and forth between those things and they're not going to have to go nearly as far to get to what they are looking for. Does that make sense? Kind of. Um, and that's pretty much what I've, what I've kind of developed as my own style. Yeah. I mean, I, like in my head right now, I mean, I'm just thinking about, there's like a couple of different areas that I know of where there's been in the last few years, like some clear cuts in, in some hardwoods and there's pines and stuff. So I'm trying to like, I'm thinking, okay, all right, well maybe I need to walk that edge back in that corner. Um, you know, where I've not been before, but I mean, it all makes sense. And and that's one of the things I've talked to a few different guys about hunting over clear cuts and, you know, this side of the wind, that side of the wind, et cetera. Um, but never it's, you know, it's always one of those kind of like anomalies where, you know, if you get a clear cut, that's three years old, it's the thickest nasty. And you know, there's deer in there. I mean, those deer can just run in there and hide out for the entire season if they want to. Um, and trying to figure out when they're coming out, how you're going to, how you're going to hunt them. So that, that makes total sense. So I'm in my mind, I'm thinking about that. And then I've got another property that's got all these weird different, uh, changes with ag and stuff like that. So I'm thinking in my head, okay, well, that makes sense. Those would be some places to check out. Um, and it, it, you know, for the listeners, like it, I'm learning just as much as, you know, you guys are. I mean, you know, maybe maybe the listeners have got it all figured out and they just like it for the mindless banter that we have on here. But like I said, when I bring people on here, I want to try to learn just as much for myself as for, you know, for the listener. And that's kind of why I try to ask the questions in the way that I do. Um, one of the things, um, you know, like I said, for me being a rut hunter, like I think Parker's had the... I don't know, probably one of the most powerful series of podcasts that I've ever listened to um, here uh, on his local legend series with uh, Mr. Bobby Worthington. And I can't recommend those to guys enough. Um, You know, in the same way that I'm listening to you and trying to figure these things out, what was it like? And can you kind of explain that series a little bit? Because I think that that one is probably got you a little bit more questions and comments and everything yeah. than than maybe anyone that you've had to to this point. Yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, Bobby is awesome. First off, super nice guy. Um, very, very knowledgeable dude. And, uh, and he's got the, he's got the track record to prove it. Like he's just got, he's got a wall full of gigantic bucks that um, he's not just going to tell you, you know, that he's the best in the world or anything like that, but he is going to tell you like, Hey, I know what I'm talking about and here's why. And, um, and, and the thing that Bobby does very well is he takes a lot of the things that we've all heard before probably. Um, but he puts it in a way that's just like so graceful and easy to understand. Um, he's just, he's just great. And basically in those podcasts, he, he did one of his seminars. Like we didn't answer, we didn't ask any questions or just like, just go like, just do a seminar for us, you know, as if you have no interruptions and we'd ask a few questions at the end. And, um, but we really wanted to take the time to just really absorb his knowledge and not, not like push our agenda or anything on him, you know, just let him do whatever he wanted to do. And it ended up being uh, a three part series. That was just killer. People loved it. So, the basis of what he says is don't hunt them outside of the rut. If you want to kill a big buck, don't do it outside of the rut. Um, 
He talked about stand placement, which is for the most part, what he talked about was hunting funnels and pinch points. And then he talked about persistence. And that is basically how often you are hunting those spots. He just breaks it down in such a good way. But the thing that really got people fired up and kind of pissed some people off was that first part of don't hunt a, you're not going to kill a, your best chance to kill a mature buck is during the rut. Basically. Um, don't waste your time trying to kill them somewhere else. Cause you're just going to blow them out. Um, maybe you'll kill him, but if you'll wait until he's the dumbest and he's on his feet the most, then you have the best opportunity. That's all he's saying. Um, and people, the, the question I got the most was usually a sarcastic, like, well, it looks like I'm not going to hunt till the rut <laughs> or I guess, guess I can't hunt early season anymore if I want to kill bucks like Bobby Worthington. And the thing that people have to understand is Bobby is telling us how to kill the like world-class deer. Like he's in Tennessee. He's not hunting. He is hunting some Midwestern States, but he is this successful in Eastern Tennessee where you just don't see a lot of gigantic bucks come out of. And he was talking like one nineties, um, yeah, you like know. we're not talking like 130s and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like when I say like I can kill, a, I, you know, I kill a big buck in the in the early season. I'm talking about a 130 or, or something like that. You know, I'm not 190 never even really enters my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but, but what what Bobby's telling us is how to go out and and target these like the world class deer, which is where his experience is at. Um, and so. That was the question that I probably got the most of like, okay, well, I've, I've shot big bucks in October before. It's like, okay, like that's great. That's fine. That's, that's the best part about hunting is there's different ways to do it. You know, what, what Bobby has developed for himself is a rut hunting strategy. What you may develop for yourself is, uh, I think about Joe Rentmeester from Hunting Beast. That dude gets right in the freaking bedroom and shoots them in their bed. Like maybe that's what you do. And, and he's going to be like, no, I don't have to hunt the rut. If we were to ask him the same questions that Bobby was talking about, it would, they would have two completely different answers and they have could, because they have two completely different styles. And that's okay. Like that's the, that's the beauty of what we do is there are multiple, what is, it, what is it? There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to kill a buck. <laughs> like, um, but I think the thing that people have to understand when listening to this is that, listening to that podcast is that Bobby is, he is a level that mo- a lot of hunters don't exist on. Like you just, especially when it comes to public, he's hunting public land for the most part. Um, and he is just, he just knows what he's doing, man. Like I, when I first heard him talking, the, some of my thoughts that I had were like, no, that's, that doesn't make any sense. That's not right. But the, m- the more you think about it, you're like, well, I mean, he he's kind of more successful than I am. So maybe I should listen. Maybe he's got something to say. Um, and it ended up being, man, everybody loved it. Everybody loved that podcast series. Yeah. It, like I said, I just wanted to bring that up because I've recommended that podcast series probably to more people than than any other podcast, you know. You know, I appreciate it. Man. Just simply because, like, listening to it, and, and there was a lot of, um, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz around it. So I'm like, well, I need to check this out. And it's like, my goodness. And then one thing, like, you know, uh, Parker is great. However, um, 
Bobby Worthington, I think you said it, it was he sounds like a like a a preacher that's been doing it forever and ever and ever. I mean, you could just it's it, it, he could read you like a bedtime story and you you'd love it. It doesn't matter what the guy's voice and the 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 drawl and the the cadence in which he speaks, you're just like mesmerized, like hypnotized by yeah. the whole thing. And Andy's talking yeah, about deer hunting. True. So. <laughs> it's true. It's like, man, if he was a preacher, everybody'd be getting saved. <laughs> like he's just, he's just, uh, it's like Papa reading you a bedtime story. That's kind of the, that's kind of the way that I, that I, um, would put it too. And, um, and he's just, he doesn't come across in a way that is arrogant. Um, He's confident in what he's saying, but he doesn't come across as arrogant or pushy or anything like that. He's just confident. Like he's say he's talking with, with absolutes because it has been absolutes for him, you know, and it's years and years and years of, of experience hunting these big mature whitetails that you just can't like you, you would be doing yourself a disservice to completely, shut him out and not listen to it because maybe your hunting style is a little bit different. And and when you ask me about hunting style, Adam, I, I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want for me to have a hunting style. Like I want for my hunting style to be that I use the kayak to, to do it, but I want to learn, you know, I want to learn how to hunt the way that Dan Infault preaches about, you know, hunting specific bug beds. If that ever becomes something that I have to do in a, in a scenario, uh, I want to learn how to hunt, um, you know, ag country. If that is something that I have to do in a scenario, I want to learn, want to learn how to hunt, you know, bedding areas like John Eberhardt talks about a lot. Um, and I want to, when the rut comes around, I want to hunt like Bobby Worthington does, you know, like I want to, I want to learn how to do all this stuff. I don't want to just do one thing, you know? And so that's why it's hard to answer the question about hunting styles. It's like, I want to do all of it. Well, it, it, the question is kind of like based on, so you you probably get this a lot, maybe not, maybe you're better at asking questions than I am, but <laughs> when, when I ask people questions about certain uh, things, hunting styles, whatever, like kind of the answer that you just gave is, is correct. You know, you want to be well-rounded. And so the answer is always, well, you know, it's situational. Or you got to hunt the hot sign when the hot sign's hot. Well, how do you know that? You know, or what's your recommendation if you were to say one piece of equipment? Yada yada yada. It's always boots, right? So it's hard for the listener to get uh, <laughs> always boots. <laughs> it's it's hard for the listener to you know. It, it can be overwhelming, right? So yeah, as sure. you're looking at this, you say, "Well, man, I need to hunt like Dan Infall, and I need to hunt like John Eberhart, and I need to learn this." But you know maybe I'm not familiar with uh, public land and I don't know how far I need to go in and I don't know what terrain features I'm looking for. Should I be looking for beds? Should I be looking for scrapes? Should I be looking for rubs? How much is this more important? So I just kind of like to get an idea for that guy that, that does feel overwhelmed of one like starting point. You say, okay, well, you know, I hunt a lot of hill country, so I look for these draws and if I can find a draw you know, that's maybe on that top one third with a, with a little bit of a saddle up above it, you know, then I know that I'm going to be in a pretty good pinch point, you know? So if you can look on a map when you're going in and, and start there, 
you know, and so that the X marks the spot thing is is pretty good. But like I said, for for guys that aren't killers yet, you know, that they're just mm-hmm. they're trying to do that, it can be extremely overwhelming because you know, forget about you know like take equipment, you know, kayaks, saddles, heavy arrows, you know, all of this. You know, it, <laughs> all make, the things make your head explode, right? <laughs> yeah, they so, do. So that that's why I'm just trying to figure out like the the one tip or or whatever that you would have for the new guy going on public land to maybe increase their odds of of killing. So so the thing, this way I say it, I feel like I'm regurgitating because I say it a lot, but um, I call them the common denominators, right? And uh, um, in math, you use that term of the 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 common themes that you find right so you you find a a deer let's say you're driving down the highway and you see a deer in the same spot every single time you drive by there deer's in the same spot pull up your maps look at it and you can more than likely find the reason why that deer's in the same spot you know assuming you're not looking at them in a big bean field or something like that you can find some reason why they're there um in the same way, if you go to the woods and you see deer sign always in the same areas, like let's say you're walking a creek bottom and the, the, the creek crossing, you find a creek crossing and you mark it on your map. And then you find another one two miles away in another creek crossing and you mark it on your map. More than likely, those things, you'll find something that is a common denominator within both of those things somewhere around it. Um and the thing for me that I have always found to be the case is hard transitions. The, those edges are always the just the common denominators everywhere. Any amount of large sign that I find, more than likely within 100 yards, you're going to find some type of vegetation change, a hard vegetation tra- change. And that's always been the common denominator for me. And so it may be different in your area, you know, depending on where you hunt. Um your common denominator might be something else. Um, but that's just kind of been for me. And then everything else kind of works around that, right? So bedding, um, food sources, um, you know, saddles, like like finding the, a saddle or a pinch point or a funnel or whatever. Like everything can kind of work around that, what that common denominator is for me. And uh, I can... I can find those areas where I'm like, okay, I think the deer, I think the bucks are going to be better right here on this spur, on this point. Here's the transition line. If I'm a big buck and I'm going to want to go to my food source, I'm going to follow this transition line to get right here. And I'm going to set up right there in between it. So it, that's kind of, that sounds probably oversimplified it, but that's kind of my thought process. Well, like I said, you know, it, the, the simplification is, is great because there's so much information and it's like, you know, I, I, I talk to guys on a regular basis that give me like five different snippets of 10 different hunting styles. And they're like, but what about, but what about, but what about? And, you know, at, at some point, you know, in a lot of times we talk about the, 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 hunter numbers going down and all this stuff, you know, it gets overwhelming. And if you try to figure out all these 
you know, million different hunting styles and you go out there and then you still don't see anything, you know, that's not doing anything for hunter recruitment or, you know, you, you know, right. hunter retention, you know, they're going to say, well, psh, I've been traipsing all over this big track of land and I can't seem to see a deer. I haven't killed anything like, uh, yeah, you know, give me, give me my guided hunt on high fence or something. And, you know, I'll put a big one on the wall and, you know, whatever. The common denominator <laughs> in Texas when I was driving down the highway, um, the common denominator when I would see a big deer is there's always a big gigantic eight foot fence around <laughs> somewhere close. So, uh, that was a, that's a, it's a real thing out there, man. Like, like you can drive parts of the hill country and you won't see a normal fence for miles and miles and miles and miles. There's so much high fence out there. Hmm. Um, and that just kind of goes back to like the way I was brought up not the way I was brought up. We never like hunted high fence ranches or anything like that. Like we couldn't afford it. We weren't, we weren't in that tax bracket, but, um, like it's just such a different hunting style in Texas, man. Like it's just, it's just crazy. (laughs) It's, it's sometimes I'm like, there was a time in my life when I was like, man, I'm going to retire. And when I retire, I'm moving to Texas Hill country and I'm buying a high fence ranch. I'm going to shoot whatever I want to. I'm going to get people to, pay for to come out here and hunt and that's how i'm gonna make my money and uh and now i'm like i don't really know that doesn't really sound all that great (laughs) and and you you touched on it at the beginning but it's kind of funny that you say that so uh, how do you feel um about successes on public versus on the leases and you know to so to some of the deer mean more now or I had a long conversation when I was out in Colorado elk hunting about, you know, the the question was, you know, the right way. So if it's if it's ethical and you followed all of the rules, um, all playing fields, uh, every harvest should be equal, right? Because yeah, and they are honestly for me, like um, for me personally. I'm more proud of uh, just sitting here looking at um, some European mount. There's my first decent eight point, um, like a 90, 85, 90 inch eight point that I killed on public. That was my first decent public land buck. And then right next to it, I've got like a 120 inch buck that I killed on a hunting club in Georgia. And I'm definitely more proud of that eight point. Um, but it wouldn't have taken much for that. Like if, if we go out and me and my daughter, um, who's three, if she kills her first deer on a, let's just, let's just go extreme. If my daughter killed her first deer on a high fenced ranch, that deer would be more special to me than any of the public bucks that I've shot. Right. So like I say, it always comes back to the experience that you want to have. I personally don't really want to go out on a high fence ranch and shoot a deer, but somebody else might. And that's fine with me. Like, I don't care. First off, they worked real, they probably worked hard to get the money that it took to go and hunt that high fence ranch where I might just like have this chip on my shoulder of like, oh, I work hard and I kayak at two o'clock in the morning, blah, blah, blah. Well, they spent a lifetime working to afford to go on a, on a high fence ranch hunt. So there's somewhere along the way there is work that has gone into a, a big product like that. Right. So it just depends on the experience that you want to have. One of the greatest, one of the smartest land managers that I that I know personally, he owns like 10,000 acres out here. Um, he is loaded. 
He's got tons of money. You go out there and he's got like Hilton on stilts shooting <laughs> houses over food plots and stuff. But that man has worked so hard to get that property the way that it is. Like you can go out there and you're going to shoot a big buck, but he has worked hard. He's got a ton of sweat equity into number one, being wealthy enough to afford that. And then number two, he's retired and all he does is work on habitat out there. Like there's work, there's sweat that went into that. Um, and so I try not to discount anything for anybody. If you told me, Adam, that that buck that's sitting there behind you, that you shot it on a high fence ranch with a crossbow over a corn pile and you were jacked about it, I'd be like, Hey man, I'm jacked for you. That's awesome. You know, it's legal. It is. You, you got the meat, you had the experience that you wanted to have. I don't care. Like I'm, I'm going to be happy for anybody, no matter what. Um, that's always how I look at it for me personally, like for my deer kills. I mean, I, I I'm going to obviously get more out of a public land deer than I am out of a private land deer. But there's, a, I say that, but there's like little variables if I was on private land and I shot a, a buck with my little girl there with me and we got to experience that moment together, that might outweigh a public land deer for me too. Like it's just the experience that you want to have, man. That's what it always comes down to for me. Yeah. I've got, I mean, these are the two biggest bucks that I've ever killed. Both came off public and, um, uh, two, uh, I've got, two little six points that I think mean just as much or more. Um, one of them I shot on our property in the UP. So I've got two brothers. One was in South Dakota. He killed a slammer mule deer. My brother who doesn't hunt at all, um, very minimally anyways, shot a doe that same morning and I missed a really nice buck. Now, mind you, even with rifles throughout our whole lives, we've never killed deer on the same day. And uh, I went and messed up my opportunity to kill a deer. Uh, so that night I went out and this little six point came by and I drilled him. He went 35 <laughs> yards and fell over. But, you know, I got to share that experience with my brothers. You know, we all killed yeah. deer on the same day. It's kind of like one of those things that, it, you know, will be very difficult to replicate. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's one of those memories that's, you know, burned in my head that it, it the, the antlers or, or whatever are just, uh, a bonus, you know? I mean, I only saw two yeah. deer. I shot at both of them and I got one. So I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> I'll tell you one of the most special deer that I've ever killed is also one of the smallest deer that I ever killed. And, um, uh, there actually there two two of the most special deer that I've ever killed were two of the smallest deer that I ever killed, and I killed them both within a week of each other. And it was my first year doing public land stuff, and I killed both of these deer. And one of them I killed when my dad came from Texas, and we did like a we do a rutcation every year, and that was the first annual rutcation. Kayaks, we camped out on a little island, and our first morning I killed this buck. And, uh, it's just a little bitty, tiny six point is, I mean, it's, you know, nothing special. And I was so jacked about it. The reason why it's so special though, is because number one, my dad was there with me and we had a heck of a time. I actually ended up killing another, that, that first good eight point while he was there as well for that, like two days later. Um, but he also, 
that same trip, he fell in the water. <laughs> so uh, before we before we got to my deer, so I had shot the deer and gave it the rest of the morning for him to hunt. And then I got down and paddled over to where he was at. And uh, he got in his kayak and I got in mine. And um, well, actually, I didn't get in mine. He was like centered on a log on his boat. And so I just kind of gave him like a little nudge. And when I did that, it like slid him and he <laughs> fell in like it straight into the lake. His gun went in the bottom of the lake. Like it was just a bad deal. And it was cold, man. It was freaking cold. It was December. And so he's there with wet clothes in his undies trying to fish his, uh, fish his gun out of the bottom of the lake, you know? Um, and we still had to, we still had to get this deer out of the woods too. And this was the first day of like a four day hunt and all his clothes are now wet and it's cold. Um, it, and that, that memory, man, it just like, there's it, I'll be hard pressed to ever have a memory that, that that's that memorable, you know, that's that good. It wasn't great on honestly in the moment, but I started taking some pictures and stuff and he was mad at me for taking pictures. I was like, dad, we're going to want these one day. <laughs> we're going to want to remember this one day. Um, and it was that's that's i mean that's one of the smaller deer that i've ever shot but that memory surrounding it was just insane it was so much fun well and when everything goes right and it's just easy it 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 takes all the fun out of it and you know it's it is all about that perspective right you were talking about you know the the two mile paddle the four and a half hour journey to get just in the stand and it makes everything else seem that much easier um i think though that adversity makes everything that much sweeter because you're you, you don't remember the good times you, you know for the most Definitely. part you know you remember you, you remember the things where where you had to work for it or there was something that 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 makes it more difficult you know Definitely. and uh I, that that's one thing that I love about hunting and that's why bow hunting to me is you know so much fun or like the ultimate because it's you're always getting kicked in the nuts like all the time it's always always you know and i think you said it on that video from uh the kentucky deer you know like you know that's there's nothing more heartbreaking than bow hunting or something like that (laughs) i remember the quote but you know there's there's like there's like uh there's nothing more heartbreaking than hot women and bow hunting right like (laughs) Like you, you remember that first time in high school when some, the the hottest girl turned you down or whatever. And like, it's just, it's just so heartbreaking. But for some reason we still like the hot girl. Like we still <laughs> like bow hunting, bow hunting lets you down more times than it, ma- than it makes you happy, but we still like it. You know, it's worth it. What, this is going to sound kind of crude, but the first time you score on a big buck is like, <laughs> is like. I did it, you know, well, I'm not going to go back in with the hot girl, but like, you know what I'm saying though? It's Mm -hmm. like it, the, 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 the good outweighs the bad big time. I would, if, if, if I went off my bad experiences, bow hunting, I would quit. Like there's (laughs) no reason to do it, but I don't, I remember the good times and I'm, I'm willing to just like grind past all of the bad times just to try to get that fix again it's like it is like it's like cocaine and (laughs) it's like drugs and then in in going into that you know we always ask you know so what is your your bow setup so what are you shooting with for bow sight arrows everything 
Yeah, um, you gave me a hard time on that uh, podcast with uh, with Ted Bright, so we won't talk about the heavy arrows. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely listen to that. Um, I'm shooting a Newbreed GX2. Uh, I've shot it for three years, and it's, um, yeah, it. I just, it's a good bow. It it was a better bow. You know, I felt like it was better bow, especially with my lighter arrow setup. Um, I felt a little more confident with it. Now that I've gone with the heavier setup, I'm short, so I have a short draw length. The bow is not very fast, um, and so going with a heavier arrow and I'm not even that heavy. Like my arrows aren't that heavy. They're like 500 grains. You know, they're not, it's not like I'm shooting, you know, an ax at them or anything. Um, but my, I mean, my, my speed has gone down to like 220, you know, with a 500 grain arrow, which is like, if I wanted to go heavier, good luck, you yeah. know, I'm shooting a recurve speed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and a lot of that is the bow that I'm shooting. Uh, I am, uh, I, I definitely like, so a guy named uh, Kyle Knoll designed the bow. Mm-hmm. He used to, used to be at Newbreed and he's not there anymore, unfortunately. And, uh, but Kyle was great, man. He could, he could work on that thing and he could build a bow, a bow with anybody, you know? Um, but he's not there anymore. And so it kind of makes it kind of difficult to, uh, to, uh, shoot that bow when it, the guy that could work on it better than anybody doesn't work there anymore. Um, and so I'm shooting that. Uh, I've got the Trophy Ridge React 5 sight. Um, I was using the EZV. I, I got it, but because my arrows were, just my whole setup was shooting so slow, my gaps were just like this big, you know? Like mm-hmm. I could not, uh, in my opinion, there was a lot of room for error with the EZV for that. Now, if I was still shooting a, you know, 350 grain arrow, I would be using the EZV all day because my pin gaps would be so much smaller. Um, just the just the margin for error is smaller with um, with lighter arrows for me for for my build and my specs. I guess um, I'm trying to think. What else did you ask? Arrows. Uh, yeah. I'm using the the Victory um, RIP TKO arrows with uh, VPA two blade, um, 175 grain double bevel um broadhead and uh 70 grain ethics insert zinger fletchings i think that's it just a regular knock that comes on the comes on them okay i should use a lighted knock but i don't <laughs> so uh a couple things there the i saw you i just ordered one of those uh ranch ferry deals for sharpening the broadheads i saw you put put a post up how how did that work is it just as easy as it's it? awesome <laughs> it's awesome man i sat here with this freaking i got to move my daughter's teacups off my desk and show you this because she was using it as a tray but i bought this little like like this whole set to like try to sharpen these broadheads and dude it was a pain in my butt trying to keep that that bevel angle right mm-hmm. and uh so I watched a video somewhere and I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't, I have since watched the ranch fairy one mm-hmm. that he did with uh, THP with stay sharp. I can't remember where I watched it or heard about it, but I was like, man, that's perfect for what I need. So I, I got that thing. I got the wet dry sandpaper that they do and it dude. It's like freaking sharp. <laughs> like it, it, it does great. It takes a little while because you got to go through the different grit um, sandpapers multiple times. 
but my gosh, once you're done with it, it's like, it is like a sword. It's like shiny. <laughs> it's crazy how good that works. Yeah. And um, I, I can see like, I'm, I've got double bevel broadheads and I've got to sharpen them up as well. And watching that process and then having to flip it and then flip it and then flip it. I see why single bevel, you'd be like <laughs> half the time, like on each one. <laughs> and I wanted to use the cutthroats, but man, they took so long. I ordered them in like June and I wasn't going to get them in time for my Kentucky trip. And so I was just like, I mean, I spent like 60 bucks for three of them or $65 for three of them. I'm just going to get my money back and get more VPAs. Yeah. Like, they, they, uh, and the price went up because earlier in the summer they were like 49 bucks or 55 bucks or something like that. And then yeah. when I went to order them, when everything was sold out, they were like 70 bucks for three of them. And I was like, man, it's going to be a lot for six broadheads. So I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm not I, gonna. I just, I just, I mean, I had ordered them. I already paid for them. I think I had ordered two packets, two packages of them, but I was like, man, I mean, I need these things before my deer season starts, you know? And it wasn't like a, like, there's a lot of people on saddle hunter right now, just griping and complaining, being stupid because they're not going to get their saddle until after season starts, but they ordered it, you know, like yesterday. Yeah. And, and ev everybody it. wants everything to be Amazon, you know, they want, I mean, yeah, that's one thing that Amazon's done. I mean, they do it really well, but I mean, they want it you know, two day shipping, they want it right yeah. now. And it's like, you know, one of the things, most of these companies, I mean, if they're, I don't know, I, there isn't a real big saddle hunting company. I don't think that's like a conglomerate or whatever, but these guys are Hawk. all, they're all hunting. Hawk, yeah. Hawk now. Yeah. But uh, I mean, look what happens with their, their sticks. I mean, yeah, you, you order those in the season. You know they they own, they manufacture what they're projected for the season, and when they run out, they run out. You know. Yeah. So you can't even buy the. I mean, there's been a lot of problems with them, but you can't buy the two step ones right now. Those are sold out everywhere, yeah. and the the three steps are are hit or miss. So it's like, and and, and Hawk had said that they were going to come out with the platform and all of that. I've seen the saddle out, but I've not seen their platform review. Oh yeah, it, it, for sale. I mean, and available. Oh, I don't. I don't know if it's for sale. I don't know if it's available. Yeah. I saw the the picture of it though. Yeah, this the the tethered coffee one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty rough. But um, but that's the thing. These little you know cutthroat. Uh, you know the Magnus. I mean, it, Magnus is a pretty big company, but it's still a, a small company. So mm -hmm. these guys are doing everything that they can to get everything out. And they're still trying to hunt and be outdoorsmen and do all the things that, you know, yeah. that we, we like to do. And then we're berating them because we waited until the last minute to put in an order. I mean. Yeah. And my deal was like, my deal with, with, with that thing was like, I didn't wait until last minute. I mean, I ordered them like in June. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't like I was just like, I need them now. You know, right. I, I was like three months, you know. And so, um and, and and they sold out, and they were doing the best they can. It, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I was just like, eh, you know, yeah. I'm just going to get. You I'm need just going to continue <laughs> using the VPAs. The VPAs are great, and it's it's a broadhead, you know. Like, I don't think that that single bevel is going to do just that much different, you know. Hmm. It, it'll do some. It'll do some different, but it's not going to be that much different. And so I, I've got now. I've, I mean, I've bought lots of packets of these uh these uh 175 grain here's the here's the package for them 
It doesn't really have a picture of them in there, but you can mm-hmm. kind of see the shape of them and yep. stuff. Yeah. Um, and they're they're great, man. I haven't shot a deer with them. I shot at one, but <laughs> but they they will kill a branch for sure. <laughs> now, uh, what uh, are you looking at other bows? I mean, you got your eye on something else. I mean, I can't really afford another bow, so I'm I'm just kind of like I tried to sell the new breed, honestly, and uh, I, I I feel like I'm borderline talking bad. I'm not trying to talk bad about the company. It's just. We used to work with New Breed um, when Kyle was there with Southern Ground and um, used to work with them and uh, loved it. I mean, Kyle was just the best, dude. Just absolutely just a killer guy and uh, and great with a bow. Um, but when he stepped out of it, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm still going to use the bow, but we don't really work for work with New Breed anymore. Um, and so at this point, I'm just kind of like, man, that new VXR came out and I shot it. And I was like, holy cow. You know, this thing is sweet. So I'd love to have, I'd love every time I've ever shot a Matthews, it's been just an incredible experience. I love shooting Matthews. The last one I owned was the monster seven, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. Um, and then I had a Hoyt spider 30 before that. And that was a great bow too. Uh, and then I've, I've had this new breed for three years. And like I said, like it, I've killed more deer with the new breed than I did with any other bow. Um, but the, the technology that keeps coming out, man, is like, it's great. Like, it really is. Like, there's some good bows that are out there. I don't think any of them are, you know, Indians killed them with a stick and a string for a long time. That's, so That's what I was going to say about the broadheads, you know. I mean, when you said, ah, oh, it's just a broadhead, I'm like, well, it's, you know, they killed them with stones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I got, I'm, I'm being picky at, at this point. Like, I'm shooting this new breed right now. Like, it's not, it's not like it was bad enough for me to, just go out and buy a new bow. I'm just not going to do that. Um, but it's a, you know, it's like I said, like when I got it, it's super light. Um, it's extremely light. It's got a small profile, so it's great in the kayak. And also the other thing about it is, is when you're using the kayak, like I do, like, I'm not going to go out and spend $4,000 on a new rifle. Um, that's just going to get muddy and dirty and gross and mm-hmm. I'm going to drop it in the dirt, you know, a lot. Um, it's the same thing with a bow, man. Like, I just don't really want to spend, you know, two grand on mm-hmm. a bow setup when I know, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to abuse that thing like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll all kill, they'll all kill deer. It's just, it's mostly personal preference more than <laughs> anything. Yeah. I just wondered, you know, with the, with the speed issue and, and you know kind of what you're what you're going through if you had your eyes on something yet i would like to get something else just for the speed issue it's less it has less to do with the bow um and more to do with the speed more than anything like i i don't, I don't think i like that that i can you know the high foc i think has a it's a greater advantage to it than speed does especially at that 20 yard 20 to 30 yard range. Um, but I would like to have a better happy medium. I would like to shoot faster than, than, you know, than a recurve. 220. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, man, I know you got a meeting to get to and, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time this morning with us and, you know, just kind of cutting up about public land and deer hunting and early season. Where can everybody follow along with everything, what, uh, you're, you're doing and then where can they find the, 
the series with Bobby Worthington and uh, the podcast about the X marks the spot. Yeah, so if you uh, if you go to YouTube, you can find um, you can find the Southern Ground Hunting channel, and that'll have all the videos from pretty much the past three years. And uh, I think I'm pretty well got everything uploaded on the new channel, um, so you can find that there. You can go to um, pretty much anywhere anywhere podcasts are at, and you can find um, you can find. I'm trying to look up the actual uh, episode numbers for those, but um, go to i use apple apple uh apple podcast search southern ground hunting or sportsman's nation whitetail feed you can find me on both of those so we have two different feeds that are the same thing um and subscribe there the bobby worthington series was during the uh public uh the local legends series that we did during the summer and it started with episode 87 and it's 87 88 and 89 that was uh, the Bobby Worthington series. Then the X marks the spot was episode 63 in January of, um, of this year. And uh, that's with Matt Powell. And that was a really good one. We had, we had a couple really good ones right around there about uh, that are really tactics based. Um, anything with Michael Perry is just top notch. He's a local guy here. That is a, big buck slayer man he's a murderer and he he knows how to do it and uh you can find all that on the podcast network and then on youtube i try to put some of the podcasts on youtube like this the conversations like this um but for the most part it's like hunting videos and like a couple of product reviews and stuff like that so um you can find everything there on facebook southern ground hunting on instagram southern ground hunting pretty much if you type in southern ground hunting something should pull up and it's the southern ground hunting because there's some overlap with the southern yeah, podcast. And <laughs> yeah, there's there's several southern uh, brands that and oh, dude, I, if I could change my name, I would. <laughs> I would change it in a heartbeat. But um, you know, we're just gonna try to uh, do it as best as we can. And um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of brands that have bow hunter at the beginning of it too. So. I mean, you know, oh yeah, it, it's you just got to stick out, man. You got to do your best. You got to hustle and grind and uh, make yourself noticeable. Right. Well, like I said, I appreciate all the time, and I think that's kind of all we got for today. So sweet, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We'll have to catch up after the season, and I'll tell you about the one deer I killed and the few that I missed, and you can tell me about the <laughs> the dozen that you got in the freezer. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, at this rate, I've missed a lot. I've missed. In the last two years, I've missed more deer than I've missed in the rest of my life combined. So, well, you're um, getting opportunities. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> appreciate those opportunities. Hey. Grateful for them. <laughs> awesome, Parker, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you.
Sit down. Sit down.